We're just asking that your kingdom would come. That, that your will would be done. That your kingdom would be on display in every situation. And where there is cancer, we command it to go right now in Jesus' name. Where there is pain in, in backs, we command that to go right now in Jesus' name. We are asking, Father, that your kingdom would come. Your kingdom that is, is so filled with, with peace and joy, where there's no more tears and no more sadness. I pray that, uh, that your kingdom would just overwhelm the people's situations and lives. That we would see glimpses, not even glimpses, that we would see like powerful displays of your power in such a way that the lost, that people who don't know you are like, wow, they're blown away, not just with, with what has happened, but they're blown away in such a way that they are coming running to you, Jesus. And so we are asking for, for heaven to fall, for your kingdom to come in every situation so that you, Jesus, will be glorified. So that you, Jesus, the name that is above every other name will be exalted. And so I'm praying even right now as we open up your word, as we chat a little bit, Jesus, that you would be exalted, that you would be seen for who you are. That our eyes would be fixed on you, that again we would grow more and more in love with you, that we would lay down our lives for you because you laid down everything for us. And so we do again just invite you, Holy Spirit, to lead and guide us time. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we get into the, the message this morning, um, this is our, our last Sunday that we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. We've been going through the book of Hebrews, and uh, I'm going to share just in a little bit like some things that I think were highlighted uh, to us as we've been journeying through uh, the book of Hebrews. But there is truly just a lot going on. Um, God is, is moving. God is, uh, his kingdom is advancing, just like he has promised that his kingdom would constantly be advancing. And there are things that um, people have said, like, you, you celebrate or you value what you celebrate. And I want to make sure that we are always a people that, that celebrate those things that are very important to us. And I want to share just a couple testimonies, um, just a, a couple things, because I never want us to take for granted what God is doing. Yeah. Last Sunday, uh, my friend Mike Vindry came and shared. And uh, he um, loved what he shared with those two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. It just was a, a powerful picture and, and just that invitation to walk in relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. But um, he, he texted me earlier in the week. And his son, uh, who's a teenager, his son Cam, said, uh, Dad, I want to go to that church uh, every Sunday. And uh, Mike, I asked Mike, like, why did he say that? He said this. He said, this group of people was the most friendly group of people that he has ever encountered. As a teenager. A teenager saying that. And so I just want to celebrate and say, yay, God, because he said so many of you came up and talked to him. And ask him questions about, it, about his life. And so, thank you, first of all. That's who we are as a people. But secondly, God works through you. And so, I always want us to be a people that aren't afraid to walk across the room to engage in conversation. And you know what? Let's just be completely honest and transparent that sometimes starting a conversation with maybe even someone that you think you should know, that maybe you do know, you know, it can be awkward. You're like, hey, what's your name again? Like, we want to be people who are, are walking across the room, who are engaging those conversations, getting past the awkwardness and getting into people's lives. And so thank you for the, the people that, that did that last Sunday. God used you in a powerful, powerful way. Second thing I just want to share, and uh, Jewel already shared this. Uh, there's a picture of her getting baptized up on the screen. And we will always... Things I love about the picture. We always celebrate new life in Christ because that's what it's all about—the gospel. Yeah. 
But then look at the faces of the people behind you, Jewel. I, I know they're probably like, oh, people that are up on the screen are like, oh, my picture. Yeah, Jen's like, yeah, thank you for putting that picture up. Uh, but hey, I can put the picture up. I can put whatever picture up I want. Um, but look at their faces, the celebration. And those are, those are people that are behind you. And like, there's so many more. And, and that's what this is all about. We are a body and the body needs one another. And so we will celebrate the body, being the body, a new life in Christ. And so thank you uh, uh, for that. And then lastly, and, and Austin uh, shared this, um, and this is, a, is one too. Like, I never want to take this for granted because let me just set this up. Last night I was at Worship in the Woods just seeing what was going on. And uh, this was a moment that I had to capture on my phone because this is not normal. This, this is not normal. Over 200 teenagers choosing, choosing, not being forced, choosing to worship for hours in a barn on a Saturday night. And this is what, uh, what it sounded like. That just hits me every time. Because I wasn't doing that in high school. You know, I wasn't choosing to go to a barn and worship him. And so God is doing something in this area. Um, because worship in the woods is just one little group. There's a group called Met by Love, who Joel, who has led worship for us a couple times, that he leads at Calvin College. There's a Awakened Generation. There's a ton of little, it's not about these little names, it's just tons of little groups that are bubbling up. And just saying, you know what, we're going to worship Jesus. And we're going to go for it, whether it's a Saturday night, whether it's a Monday night, whether it's a Thursday night, whatever it is. And so I just share that to say God is doing something. That we can choose to focus on all that is wrong, or we can choose to focus on all that is right. And that God's kingdom is coming. And you know what, I want to pray and I want to um, hunger for more of that. But I also want to celebrate what he's doing. Because I know as a dad, if my kids are, are coming to me constantly saying, I want this, I want this, I want this, and they're not thanking me, it's like, mm. and, and, sorry, it's um, a little moment there, a little therapy. Um, I say thank you. you say, oh, no. <laughs> the same is true with our Father. You know, He taught us to pray. Our Father, our Lord, hallowed be your name. Holy are you. Thank you. You are worthy. And so that's how we're to start. And so as we wrap up this time in, in the book of Hebrews, and I, I just think about what God is doing in our community and in our lives, there are so many things. And I think, you know, one of, a, a big thing is for us to continue to run this race with endurance. Hebrews talks a lot about that. Run the race with endurance. Following Jesus is not just a quick sprint where you, you, you worship as a teenager and then you go like, oh, you get a job and then it's just all over. No, it's a, it's a long distance run. Now, that doesn't mean like we have to run a 15-minute mile and just kind of slowly. No, I say we run and we run hard and ask the Lord to give us that endurance over and over again. So I think that's one of the things that God is inviting us into is to, to run this race with endurance, to continue to seek after Him, to continue to pour out our hearts before Him. But also, too, He's inviting us to wrestle with Him. Inviting us to, to really wrestle because there are moments where we see the kingdom come in powerful ways. But you know what? There are times where we pray for people who aren't with us anymore. 
And I don't know why all of that happens. I don't know why we see amazing miracles and also we see people pass away. I don't know. But the thing that I do know is that, that God, the God of the universe, is inviting us to wrestle with him. Because when we wrestle with him, when we go before him, when we pour out our heart to him, we get close to him. Because you can't wrestle with somebody from far away. And so even in the midst of all that's going on, when we see things and then when we don't see things, it's an invitation to continue to draw closer to God. And the only way that we can do that is through the blood of Jesus. And that's the last thing that I just am reminded of over and over and over again. We celebrate Jesus as the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. That he is the hope of the world. He is the one who's changing lives. He is the one who has, has been and always will be. And he, his name is the name that is above every other name. And so we're going to continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so as we wrap up in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is written to this community of believers who grew up in one tradition. And then they encountered Jesus. And they gave their life to Jesus. But things started to get difficult. Things started to get hard, and people were persecuting them for their faith, and they're, they're, they're starting to kind of wander and, and go back and even lose sight of the mission that Jesus called them into. And so at the very end, we're going to look at this uh, verse from Hebrews 13. If you want to turn there, Hebrews 13, starting at verse 8. This is really just summarizes what the book of Hebrews is all about. And, and as I think about those who, uh, who received this letter at first, you know, their life changed in such a drastic way. Like, they were used to one thing, and then all of a sudden, it, it, they started living differently. And I can't imagine how awkward it would have been for them. I mean, imagine, like, try this later in the day. Like, I usually, when I stand up, I have my right foot forward. Think about, like, your dominant foot, and then switch. It just is awkward and, and weird. Or brush your teeth with the opposite hand. Like, it just changes and makes life a little clunky. And like, I think about the, those uh, who received this book, they, like, they were used to living one direction, and now, because of the sacrifice that Jesus paid, they're like, okay, now we're going to live a, a little differently. And how does this all look? What does this all mean for our lives? And so at the end of Hebrews, the writer is saying, giving some, I think, clear direction for their life. So let's look at Hebrews uh, 13, starting at verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I think that's just powerful good news right there. The same Jesus that we read about in Scripture, the same Jesus that we saw uh, conquer the grave, the same Jesus that we saw deliver people, that is, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It goes on and says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. But we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bo bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Once again, the, the writer of Hebrews, he brings us back to the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus, in verse uh, 12, 
also suffered outside of the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. He suffered to make us holy. I mean, we have to always be brought back to that. Jesus, look at how they, they treated Jesus. They, they brought him out of the city gate. They, they mocked him. They whipped him. They beat him. They, they put him on a cross. The cross that you and I deserve to be carrying. They put him on, on that. And he endured the pain of the cross, endured suffering. Why? So that we could be made holy. I always want to remind us of, of, of the gift that we have in Jesus. I mean, if you think about the, the name Restoration Church, and if you think about restoration, you and I are ultimately God's ultimate restoration project. I mean, we celebrate that this week as we remember the events of the cross and remember the events of the resurrection, that, that we at one time, according to Ephesians 2, we at one time were enemies of God, children of wrath. I mean, if you think of yourself that way, like just stop and think like at one time, and if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is who you are today. But at one time, you were an enemy of God. And you think about your enemy. Think about that someone maybe you just like, Ugh. you know, that's who we were in the sight of God. Ephesians 2 says that. It's right, written to a group of people that, that used to worship this little wooden idol. That would have a big celebration once a year for this wooden idol. And, and, and the writer of Peter's Paul says, You were an enemy of God because your hearts were given to someone other than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You were an enemy of God. But verse 4 says this, But God, who's rich in mercy, abundant in grace, gave his son Jesus so that we could be raised to new life in him. And I love that phrase, but God. In fact, I probably would want to put that on my, my uh, tombstone, but God. I think that's just such a beautiful phrase in all of Scripture because here's the story going this way, but God steps in. Yeah. And in all of our lives, God steps in with His grace through His Son, Jesus, and restores us to Him, restores us to the Father all through the blood of Jesus. Amen. And I love what Ephesians 2 verse 10 says. It says this, in kind of summarizing this little section, it says, We are God's workmanship. We are His masterpiece. His masterpiece. Not a little stick figure drawing. And we are his masterpiece, something that he just skillfully created. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. I mean, think about that. That's the ultimate restoration project. We have been brought from death to life. Yes. We have been people who have been far from God and brought near to God all through the blood of Jesus. We who have been uh, hopeless have been filled with hope all because of the blood of Jesus. And every time that we remember that, every time we think about that, it should cause us to raise up a hallelujah deep in our spirits and say, God, we have been given so much through your son, Jesus. Amen. We must live our lives just with worship. The, the, the words that come off of our lips should continually be this praise to God. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Like, have, have your life be characterized by, by the lips that are declaring the praises of the one who saved you. That's why I love that chorus that we sang um, worthy is, uh, what is it? You're my all in all. Jesus worthy, uh, whatever. Who's saying it? Because <laughs> <laughs> frankly, I, it, sure, I go back to the past, but it, it goes back to 1994 when God got a hold of my heart. And there's that core, that, that line that says, you know, taking, taking my sin, my cross, my shame. You know, like he took that. Yes. You know, and so I'm standing up here in front of you. Uh, as someone who at one time, yes, was a sinner, but right now I am holy and perfect all because of the blood of Jesus. And that's who I am. Yes. 
That's who you are if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And every day we need to celebrate that. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know what? Always remember that. That you have been made holy through the blood of Jesus. And as you go through this week, my number one prayer for all of us is as we reflect on the events of the cross and the empty tomb, is that all of that made us holy. And so when you look at yourself in the mirror, you are in Christ. Just look at yourself and say, you're holy. You are perfect. You are God's masterpiece. But then, it says, there's this challenge in there. It says, we have been made holy by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, verse 13, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Think about the cross. Think about where Jesus was crucified. He wasn't crucified in the city. For in the city, they, that was where, where the clean people were. That's where things were, were really nice. Outside of the city was where they, they, they brought the trash. Where they would bring the trash in and they would burn it up. Outside of the city, there was a bunch of uh, just detestable people. And so Jesus wasn't even worthy to be brought into the city to be crucified. He was crucified outside the city, is what John 19 says. And the writer of Hebrews says this, let us go out to him. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message says this. And I want to read uh, Hebrews 13, 13 through uh, 16 from the message. This is uh, the challenge, and this is what uh, uh, Eugene says in the message. So... Because we've been made holy, let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is. Not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. Doesn't that just sound fun? (laughs) This insider world is not our home. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. Let's take our place outside with Jesus. No longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out sacrificial praises from our lips to God in Jesus' name. Make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack and working for the common good. Share what you have with others. God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of sacrifice that takes place in kitchens and workplaces and on the streets. Really that phrase, let's go to him outside. Let's go outside where Jesus is. If you look, and I'm not going to get into these verses today, but if you look throughout Leviticus, a number of times there's these rules and regulations given to the people of Israel about sacrifices. When you burn a sacrifice, when you heap on a sacrifice the sins of the people, you take that animal outside of the camp, outside of the city. And so what does that represent? The sins of the people are outside of the city. There's these... uh, these despised people, these dirty places outside of the city. People, when they were sick, when they had leprosy, they weren't allowed to be in the city. They were told to go outside of the city and to have this colony. And and, and when people would walk by, they would yell unclean at these people. And they were outside of the camp. And even if somebody blasphemed the name of God, they were stoned to death. They were killed outside of the city. If you think about it, outside of the city, outside of the camp, was not a pleasant place. But here the writers of Hebrews says, let's go outside of the camp where Jesus is, where the action is. And so what does that mean for our lives? Where are we supposed to be? What are we supposed to be doing with our lives? Look at how Jesus lived. In, in, in Mark chapter 1, he came across a leper. And the leper is saying, with all of this skin disease all over him, this leper is saying, heal me. 
And how does Jesus heal him? He could have spoken a word and he was healed. He could have made some mud and thrown it on him and he was healed. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, goes over to the leper and touches him. And because Jesus was clean, he made the leper clean. And he was healed just like that. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is given a, a bad reputation. People looked at him and said, oh, there's that glutton, that drunkard, and that friend of sinners. Jesus didn't do any of those things. He never sinned, but he hung out with people who did. And he spoke life into them. He came across Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, and said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. Now, some of you are singing that Sunday school song in your head. What does that say about Jesus? His life demonstrates the fact that he constantly went outside the camp, went outside to these, these dirty, despised, dangerous places, and he brought his kingdom into those places. I want to show you this. Turn to, to Jonah chapter 1. I've always loved this passage in Jonah. Jonah, the, the guy who, who runs away from God and gets swallowed up by a big fish. But I just want to read the first three verses. Because we have to remember, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same. His heart is the same. So it says in Jonah 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of some guy, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Nineveh was a horrible city, engaged in all type of debauchery, in all types of sin. And so he's saying, God is saying to Jonah, You go and you proclaim to this city. It says in verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Two times it says Jonah went where? Away from the presence of the Lord. Where was the presence of the Lord? Now I know and understand God is everywhere. But where was the presence of the Lord? In the darkest places. Jonah went away from the presence of the Lord. We as, as people of God are invited to go into those dark places. Because I believe that, that the presence of God is so present, if you will, in the darkest places in our world. That we can bring the light and the love of Jesus. And we're called to do that. And so as the people of God who want to be where Jesus is, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? He is outside the camp. He's in those, those places, those dark places, wanting to bring life to those who are lifeless. And so I think the point of Hebrews is this. Don't go back to this formal dead religion. Instead, embrace new life in Jesus and go running everywhere telling people about the hope that you have found in Jesus. The question that we have to wrestle with as his followers is, will we embrace comfort and be like, okay, maybe that's for somebody else? Or will we embrace the cross? And follow his example and go to those places. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we think about this name, Restoration Church, I want you guys to know it is so much more than a name. A name you need so that people kind of know, okay, what are you calling yourselves or whatever. This is who we are. Because the world is getting increasingly dark. I don't have to convince anyone of that. The world is getting increasingly dark, and, and this shouldn't surprise us because Jesus said that this was going to happen. You know, you think about it, like, sin is everywhere. 
And what used to be like really hidden is now like boom out there in the open. And when it comes to, to sin, when, when it comes to the things that we encounter, like I don't really care what we encounter. There's sexual immorality, there's greed, there's pride, there's selfishness, there's a bunch of different things. And we also encounter just darkness and depression. All of that. I don't care necessarily like what we encounter because frankly, whatever we encounter, whatever sin you want to, to, to identify, it actually just reveals a deep need inside of every soul. That everybody is looking for belonging. Everybody is looking for something to fill the, the hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill. And so I get excited, not over the darkness of the world. No one's going to get excited over the darkness and sin that we see in the world. But I get excited over the opportunity that we have as followers of Jesus. Because we can go in with the light and the hope of Jesus and say, you know what? The only one who can satisfy that deep longing in your soul that you're trying to get filled in in this way or that way, the only one who can do that is Jesus. Amen. And we have such an opportunity. You all have such an opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. And frankly, it's only through Jesus that we can be restored to God the Father. And that's what restoration means. Is it's returning things to how they were intended to be. And how were we intended to be? Perfect relationship with the God of the universe. Walking in peace with Him. Walking in peace with others. Having a world where there's no crying, where there's no tears, where there's no death, no sickness. We have the opportunity to bring that wherever we go. But I will say this. Restoration... Those who have engaged in restoration projects around the house or in the car or whatever, you and I know that it's hard work. It doesn't just happen. See, too often I think we want the, the benefits of restoration without the work of restoration. And when you think about restoration, what's the first step to seeing something restored? It has to get messy. I mean, if you want to restore something, you have to tear it all apart. It gets messy. But that's the only way that you can really start to see something fully restored. And so we're going to be a place, we're going to be a church that, that is fine with the messiness. That is, you know, because I truly believe that a healthy church is a messy church. That has, has people who are walking through some junk in life. But also when it comes to restoration, you know, it, it is a process and it is a journey. And it takes time. And so we're not going to expect like people to boom all of a sudden be completely uh, holy in all of their actions right away. We're going to walk with, with one another through all the ups and downs of life. And you know what? If you mess up in life, I'm not going to, and if anybody says this, I'm going to have some words with them. I'm not going to be like, boom, oh well, we're done with you. No, we're going to get into the dirt, pick you up, and continue to walk with you and point you to Jesus. And you know what? It comes to restoration projects too. I think like there are so often surprises that come. Good surprises. You might be ripping up an old house and find a million dollars or something. It might be something good. There also are some times where you come into problems and you're like, oh, that's what, that wasn't what we expected. It's going to cost you another $10,000. You know what? There will be surprises along the way, both good and bad. But we're going to embrace those. You know, one of the things that has surprised me over the last couple months is the community, the family that has formed here in this room, all through prayer. I shared this last week with Tabitha, you know, her, her vision with that. Blown away by what God has done uh, in, in that time. So there's going to be surprises, both good and bad. There are times where it's clunky. We're not perfect and we're not striving for, for perfection. We're not going to have all of these smooth transitions. 
Because you know what? At the end of the day, we're going to be a real group of people that are hungry for the Lord, that want to see other people restored to God through Jesus Christ. And so what is it going to take? I'll wrap up with this. When you think about the book of Hebrews, constantly, people are saying, you know what? Those sacrifices, offering that sacrifice over and over and over again, we're done with that. Because of Jesus, the once and all, for all sacrifice. However, Towards the end, in chapter 13, this word sacrifice comes up again. And the writer says, you're going to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You think about a sacrifice in the Old Testament. Sacrifice was given completely for the sake of someone else. And it wasn't just a partial sacrifice. This sacrifice had to go all the way to death. We are invited in the New Testament, Romans 12 talks about this, to be a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. We're not walking around dead. We're alive. But we're living our lives, laying them completely down for Jesus. We want to be a people that, that truly live out Galatians 2.20, that, that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. That we have been put to death and now raised to new life in Christ. And so our lives are to be completely lived for Jesus. And that looks differently for each person in this room. It has implications for marriages, for relationships, for how you approach money, for how you approach just hospitality. That's all in Hebrews 12 and 13, stuff that we haven't talked about yet. But it all comes from a life that is living surrender to God. It's living sacrifice. And the question that we need to ask and wrestle with every day is, will we give in sacrifice? Will we put it all on the line for the one who put it all on the line for us? And it's all motivated by one simple thing. A love for Jesus. We're not trying to earn favor. We are living from favor that we've been blessed with. And we are also living with a deep love for others. Because it should break our hearts. That there are people in this community that will live eternally separated from God. That should break our hearts. And we should be quick to share the hope that we have found in Jesus. It should break our hearts over the hopelessness that we see in people's lives. That we should go running to them and say, there's hope in Christ. The brokenness in the world should, should break our hearts. Move us and compel us to go to people and say, let's walk alongside of you and help you and, 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 and introduce you to Jesus. Isaiah 58, this fast that God desires is for us to, to, to bind up, to, to set free those who are oppressed. To take care of the hungry, to, take, to clothe those who are naked. We have to be a people of action, but that requires us to be uncomfortable and to live every day as a living sacrifice. I want us to pray for Austin and Tate right now. Why don't you guys come on up? And I want to use them as an example. Why don't you guys go right there? And Nate and Michelle, you guys can kind of come up here and get ready. I'm just going to have you stand there and have people look at you because that's nice and uncomfortable. <laughs> You know, um, I want to pray for Austin and Tate and send them out to Zambia. And we're going to do that right now. I don't know how we're going to do that. We'll probably put you in there. And if, you want, if you want to gather around you and pray, we'll do that. And lay hands on them, we'll do that. But I want to use them as an example because we can often think like Austin and Tate, oh, they're living their life as a sacrifice. They're going to Zambia. But frankly, their life is an example for all of us. Because the only difference between you and them is that they're moving to Zambia, and you're not. They are called to go to Zambia to make disciples. 
You are called to Meyer to go make disciples. To your neighborhood to make disciples. And so we're going to pray for them, but we're also praying for all of us that we are commissioned to go out to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, to our relationships, to carry the hope that we found in Jesus. And so we're going to miss these guys. And maybe we'll all just go on a trip there someday. Um, but I want to pray for them. And I want us to also transition then to a time where we're praying for all of us. That we would be filled with the Spirit to go. So why don't you stand right there. If you want to gather around them, I want to pray. Feel free to move.